Welcome to Current Radio's Politics Station. Please enjoy today's selection of political news. Georgia is in the news again, Abby. It seems lawmakers are back at the drawing board after a federal judge ruled that the redistricting maps they produced in 2021 did not protect the rights of black voters. That's right, Michael. This new session is all about creating voter maps for Georgia's 14 congressional seats, 180 state representatives, and 56 senators. But the stakes are high, as these will determine the state's political balance until the next redistricting session after the 2030 U.S. Census. And this time around, citizens can express their opinions on a new page of the legislature's website, as well as read comments made by other Georgians. Yes, it's an interesting development. Now the State House released its proposed boundaries Tuesday afternoon. It seeks to create majority Black districts in South Metro Atlanta, West Metro, and two near Macon Bibb County. Interesting, and it seems like this reshaping of boundaries could lead to some incumbent lawmakers going head-to-head. Exactly, Michael. It appears Republican state reps Beth Camp of Concord and David Knight of Griffin might be up against each other. Both have expressed disappointment, but vowed to fight for re-election. And it's not just Republicans. Democratic state reps Terry Anulowitz and Doug Stoner, both of Smyrna, are also paired up in the proposed HD 42. Yes, and on the Senate side, the GOP majority made its opening bid Monday with a map they say upholds the law and is fair to everyone. But not everyone agrees with that statement. Right, Abby? Right, Michael. Critics like James Woodall, former president of the Georgia chapter of the NAACP, argue that creating safer districts for Democrats does not give Black voters the relief the Voting Rights Act nor the court order prescribes. And it's not just the state legislature. The shape of the state's 14 congressional districts is also under scrutiny. Yes, with the U.S. House currently controlled by a margin of just eight Republican representatives, both parties will seek every advantage in upcoming elections. And while racial gerrymandering is not allowed, partisan gerrymandering is legal. Republicans will likely try their best to keep the 9-to-5 balance in their favor while following the judge's order. It's a delicate balance, Michael. But the hope is that the new maps will protect the rights of Black voters and uphold the principles of democracy. From the intricate process of redistricting in Georgia to another politically charged topic, we now shift our focus to a group's attempt to block a familiar name from the upcoming ballots. Let's delve into this intriguing development. Our next topic is quite the political hot potato. It seems a group is trying to block former President Trump from appearing on the ballot in all 50 states. Abby, what's the latest? Well, the group Free Speech for People has been pressuring Oregon's Secretary of State, LaVon griffin Valady, to declare Trump ineligible to appear on the state's ballots. They first reached out in July and have now requested a response by December 1st. So they're invoking a section of the 14th Amendment, right? The one that was originally meant to keep former Confederates out of federal office? Exactly. The group argues that Trump having sworn to uphold the Constitution as president, then engaged in insurrection by allegedly inciting the Jan 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol. They say this disqualifies him from holding any federal office. But this is a rarely used section of the amendment, isn't it? And it's not like Oregon's primary is early in the race. By the time they vote, the nominees are usually pretty clear. True, but this could set a precedent. 
After all, Griffin Velade has blocked candidates before. Take the Republican state senators who missed more than 10 days of floor sessions without excuses. They were disqualified from appearing on the ballot. Right, and there's a history of disqualification in Oregon. Just last year, former Secretary of State Shamaya Fagan blocked NYT columnist Nick Kristoff from running for governor because he hadn't met the living requirement. Exactly. And other states have seen similar legal challenges to Trump's eligibility. In Colorado, a judge ruled that Trump should be placed on the ballot, but agreed that he engaged in insurrection. So it's not just about Oregon. It's about setting a national precedent. If this succeeds, it could be a game changer for future elections. It certainly could. Though, as with any legal battle, it's likely to be a long and contentious road. But it's definitely a story we'll be keeping an eye on. From the contentious legal battles surrounding ballot eligibility, we now turn to another emerging challenge in the political landscape. It's a phenomenon that's raising eyebrows and concerns across the nation, the use of artificial intelligence in political advertising. Let's delve into this intriguing development. So, Abby, it seems like Michigan is joining the fight against deceptive uses of artificial intelligence in political ads. You're right, Michael. Governor Gretchen Whitmer is expected to sign legislation targeting AI and manipulated media in political advertisements. It's a growing concern as we approach the 2024 elections. Yes, deepfakes are becoming a real issue. These are fake media created using AI that can misrepresent someone as doing or saying something they didn't. Exactly. And the fear is that these deepfakes will be used to mislead voters, impersonate candidates, and undermine elections at a pace and scale we've never seen before. And it's not just a hypothetical situation, right? We've seen some examples already. That's true. The Republican National Committee released an AI-generated ad earlier this year, and a super PAC supporting Florida Governor Ron DeSantis used an AI tool to imitate former President Trump's voice. So what's Michigan's approach to this issue? Under the proposed legislation, any person, committee, or entity distributing a political ad would need to clearly state if it uses AI. And deep fakes used within 90 days of an election would need a separate disclaimer. That seems like a good start. But what happens if someone violates these rules? Violators could face a misdemeanor punishable by up to 93 days in prison, a fine of up to $1,000, or both for the first violation. The attorney general or the candidate harmed by the deceptive media could also seek relief in court. While Michigan is taking action on the state level, what's happening on the federal front? There's a bipartisan Senate bill co-sponsored by Senators Amy Klobuchar and Josh Hawley that would ban materially deceptive deepfakes related to federal candidates. But so far, Congress hasn't passed anything. Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson has been pushing for federal action, hasn't she? Yes, she flew to Washington, D.C. to participate in a bipartisan discussion on AI and elections and called on senators to pass the Deceptive AI Act. She also stressed the need for federal funds to tackle the challenges posed by AI. It's not just governments that are taking action, right? Social media companies are also stepping up. That's correct. Meta, which owns Facebook and Instagram, and Google have announced guidelines to mitigate the spread of harmful deepfakes. They'll require political ads on their platforms to disclose if they were created using AI. So it seems like there's a multi-pronged approach to combating the threat of AI in political ads. Yes, it's definitely a complex issue, 
that needs to be addressed from multiple angles. It'll be interesting to see how these efforts evolve as we get closer to the 2024 elections. From the battle against deceptive AI and political ads, we now turn to the public's perception of politics itself. A recent survey has revealed some unsettling attitudes among Americans towards their elected officials and politics in general. Let's delve into this, Abby. Abby, the latest survey from the Pew Research Center has some disconcerting findings. It seems a lot of Americans have unrelentingly negative views of politics and elected officials. Oh, I'm not surprised, Michael. There's enough happening to make anyone feel disheartened. But it's important to remember that maintaining an interest in improving our broken politics is crucial. If people get so turned off that they refuse to participate, that's a real threat to our democracy. That's a fair point. The survey suggests that distrust in politics has reached new heights. About 65% of those surveyed said thinking about politics left them exhausted. More than half said it made them angry, and only a few said it made them hopeful or excited. And when asked to describe U.S. politics in one word, many came up with divisive, corrupt, or chaotic. More than half couldn't even identify any strong points of our politics. It's clear that our politics are going through a tough time. Indeed, Abby, Congress seems dysfunctional, struggling to pass spending bills to keep the government operating. Election campaigns are filled with personal attacks. Divisions are threatening our support for allies. Partisanship is at an all-time high, with Democrats and Republicans seemingly living in separate worlds. The one thing both sides agree on is that our politics aren't working. Exactly, Michael. And this dissatisfaction with politics crosses political, social, and demographic lines. It's shared by white, black, Asian, and Hispanic adults. It affects old people as well as young people. Nearly nine out of 10 Americans say politicians are more focused on fighting each other than on solving problems. And let's not forget the growing role that money plays in politics. About 85% said that the cost of election campaigns keeps good candidates from running and that special interests have too much influence on politicians. Only about a quarter of the people rate the quality of political candidates as very or somewhat good, down 20 percentage points in the past five years. But despite all this distrust and discouragement, Americans aren't disengaging from politics. The elections of 2018, 2020, and 2022 featured some of the highest voter turnout rates in decades. About two-thirds of eligible adults voted in 2020, the highest rate for a national election since 1900. Those are very encouraging signs, Michael. And the public has ideas for improving our politics. In the Pew survey, majorities favored limits on campaign contributions and spending. They also found broad support for term limits on members of Congress and for age limits on elected and appointed officials, including Supreme Court justices. That's right, Michael. And let's not forget that more young people have been running for office and often winning. We Americans have always been an optimistic and forward-looking people, confident in our ability to solve problems and make progress. We're right to be unhappy with the condition of our politics, but we have the power and the ability to make our politics better. 